We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. We're going to turn our Bibles again to Matthew chapter 20, please. If you have your Bible, I urge you to open it there to Matthew and chapter 20. And uh, follow along as we look at this portion. We uh, are looking again at the parable of the workers in the vineyard because I didn't finish that last time. And I was intending to speak on the completion of it last Sunday night, this most recent Sunday night, but uh, we didn't get there because we had other matters that uh, intruded and uh, spent a little longer answering the one question that I was uh, asked than I maybe anticipated. But that's okay. It was all good. Um, so we left uh, chapter 19. Uh, we've seen the Lord is, and actually what ha- what's happening here is the Lord is going through his final teachings before the end uh, of his public ministry, really, because he's going to come into Jerusalem in chapter 21 and then uh, have a little more public teaching, of course, but then, you know, soon after that, uh, the upper room and, and uh, the Passover and all of that stuff. So that's uh, that. This is a an interesting section in the kind of flow of the Gospel of Matthew. But we left uh, nineteen wondering what does this mean? Many who are first will be last, and the last first. And we saw that was repeated at the end of verse, or in the middle rather, the first part of verse sixteen, the end of the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And so I took that to be kind of a paradigm, if you will, to look at this parable. At the beginning of it and at the end of it, you have this phrase, the last, uh, the first will be last and the last first. And we tried to puzzle through a little bit about what that meant. Um, the kingdom of heaven is like uh, this story. And it's not just like a man going out to hire a few workers. It's like a man going out repeatedly to hire a few workers and to pay them the same wage at the end of the day. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like, that whole thing. So we have to be able to keep the the kind of whole story in our minds to understand, okay, that's the story. The kingdom of heaven is like that whole thing, not just like one little piece of it. Um, and And that's the case with all the parables as well that the Lord teaches where he says the kingdom of heaven is like. So um, we read that it's like a landowner who went out early in the morning. This is verse number one. Follow along with me as I just kind of plow through this to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. So he made an agreement with them, whatever's right, I'll give you. So they went He went out at the sixth hour, that's noon, the ninth hour, three o'clock, eleventh hour. He went out again, verse six, and found others and and asked them, why have you been standing here idle all day? Uh, Maybe they had worked other jobs previously, you know, those jobs finished. They didn't have any work from their former employers. uh, And so they're standing there, you know, maybe they got there a little later in the day, um, 
slept in or something. I don't know. <laughs> then, uh, so nobody hired us, they said. So he said to them, you also go to the vineyard and whatever is right you will receive. So when evening uh, had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So he had a specific design in mind. We might not think that's a great big detail, but it, there's a design here, and we pointed that out last time, that he wants the first workers to be the last that get paid and to make this, to make this kind of parable work. They have to see what the other guys get paid. You know, otherwise, they get paid and they run off home and they don't see what the other guys get paid. So um, anyways, they uh, watch as the latest workers that came to the job get paid first. And verse 9 says, And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius. They each received a denarius, a full day's wage, basically. But when the first came, they supposed that they would receive more they likewise received each a denarius, and when they had received it, they complained against the landowner, saying, These men have worked only an hour, and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things, or is your eye evil because I'm good? So the last will be first and the first last, and I'll hold the reading right there. So um, we looked last time and at this parable. I commended to you the value of work, the value of work. I think a lot of people today are depressed because they're not working. <laughs> Can I just say it that way to you, you friends out there on YouTube? If you're not doing something productive, it's no wonder that you are depressed. You are designed, you are a machine to do stuff. God has made you that way. He's, could I say it in computer terms? He's programmed you that way. And you will not be happy unless you are accomplishing something. Uh, just think of the feeling of accomplishment that you have when you do some work. God's built that into us. You see it all the time. Look, Mom, look, Dad, what I did. What I did. What they did took work. It took some kind of ingenuity. They built a Lego toy or they did something. Uh, they put something together or built a fort in their room or whatever. Look what I did. You know, or look what I did in my homework in, in school. And adults do the same thing. They like to show off their things. You know, I got this new car or look at my house or, or the landscaping that I did or whatever. You know? And it is so with your work. Look at the things that we built. You know, the widgets that we built, not the widgeons, the widgets. <laughs> I always wondered when I was a kid, what is a widget anyway? Well, it's, it's a thing. It's a machine. It's a, a whatever you build at the, out of your factory, right? So uh, Drew's company makes what? Widgets with uh, ball bearings in them and stuff, right? Or the ball bearings are the widgets, yeah. So, um, you know, and uh, Timkin uses the ball bearings, right, to uh, make their... Uh, wheel bearing assemblies and stuff like that. So, but that's a feeling of accomplishment. You've done something to produce value. You know, you've taken stuff from the ground, you've turned it into metal balls, very carefully fashioned, and then you make that so it can run in a machine and do something productive. You feel good about it. So if you're not accomplishing anything, it's no wonder that you're feeling a little bit down. You know, if you're not doing a work-a-day job, but you're at home, 
accomplish something at home, accomplish something, cleaning, working, producing, improving, whatever. Um, the value of labor, we looked at that last time um, and talked about how the society has eh, kind of uh, taken that aside and not really focused on it. Um, we also noticed that these guys became disgruntled and complained and, um, you know, hey, you gave them more than, than they deserved or you gave us less than we deserved. And they charged him with being evil. But we said this, that they took his generosity and made it a sin because of their covetousness. Their selfishness was the sin. Their jealousy was a sin, not his generosity. His private property belonged to him, and he could pay whatever he wanted to pay to whomever he wanted to pay it. Now, that doesn't fit well with the union mentality. The union mentality is everybody gets the same if they do, you know, whatever job title it is, right? Well, that's not exactly what this fellow does for the purposes of this parable and illustration. Now, of course, I understand. In the long run, in terms of wages, the workers worthy of his hire, that implies that the wages are going to be, a, you know, proportional to the hire, if you will, to the work. But that's not the point of this illustration. This isn't really an illustration or a parable about that in the long run, of course, because eventually if the guys figure, well, I can work from 11 11, the 11th hour and get the same amount, then I'll just be lazy until then. And, of course, that doesn't work in the long run. So um, the, the wages have to settle out into kind of a proportional situation. But in this instance, the illustration works. He was not being evil. He was being generous. Um, he could have given less pay to the later men and been just as fair and square as, as uh, the others, but uh, he didn't. So I'm just reviewing this you know, story up to the point that we got to last time. And it says the last will be first and the first last. And so we could think about this in two ways. The last... Well, let, me, let me illustrate this way. The last down here, the first up here. We might think that this parable is like those who are abased will be exalted and those who are exalted will be abased and there's a swapping of positions. The last moves up and the first moves back. But because the point of the story is that they both have the same outcome in the end, I think it's not this. I think it's that the last will be like the first and the first will be like the last so that there's a tie. Everybody will come in to the finish line all touching with their stomach. The, is, it the, is it a white tape or whatever, the, the finish line tape? As they run through the end of the race, they'll all come in at the same. Now, it's not a timing thing in this case. It's a reward or wage and I have made the, the likeness to this that we're talking about the reward of eternal life, which all will receive regardless. Now, I noticed a hazard in this um, interpretation. It's not a bad interpretation, but it's a hazard if you take it too far in your understanding. You might say, well, if they all get the same outcome, then I'm just going to wait till the 11th hour of my life in order to make things right with God. And 
you fail to recognize that you might only have 10 hours. Does that make sense? You have nine hours. You might have two hours if you are a a young person who dies in their teenage years or something like that. You see what I'm saying? Don't worry about it. I've made my life this far. I'll I'll deal with God when I'm 90. (laughs) 90. You know how many, what percentage of people live to their 90? Not too many. Life expectancy for a man is about what these days, you know? 74. I think so. Double check me on that. I, I was shocked when I saw that number. It's actually reduced. I'd be happy to have somebody look that up and double check me because I, I, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that a number of months ago. Women are a little longer always than men, um, but I, I thought it was more like 80. That's what I thought. But I know that during COVID, the number went down by a couple of years, which is unfortunate. But anyway, somebody can correct me on that number. Um, but... If you're thinking, oh, I'm going to live till I'm 80, and the average person lives till they're 74, well, you're already out to lunch. What do you see there, Becky? 76.1 years for men and 81.8 for women. Oh, 76 for men, huh? Well, I'll take the extra two years. <laughs> yeah, we need everyone we can get. But you can't take this view. You don't know when you're going to get hit by a bus struck by lightning, fall over dead of a heart attack. Have I mean, look at these people you read about today, athletes and adults, sudden adult death syndrome I'm reading about. People dying just like that. Well, you don't have time to, to take this parable and say, well, if that's how it works, then I won't waste my time in my life. I'll just live like a hedonist, and then I'll get things straightened out at the end. Well, that's not the kind of attitude that God... And God just may turn you over to that, and then you won't even remember by the end of your life what you've been up to. Well, anyway, eternal life, which we look forward to, is equally bestowed on all Christians alike, no matter how good they were, how long they were saved. Some saved for 90 years, some saved after they lived 90 years and didn't have much other time left. Um, You know, the thief on the cross. uh, He, by the way, demonstrated fruit, didn't he? He, he got saved, and then he testified to the uh, other thief on the other side and said, look, we're here justly, you know. Uh, this man has done nothing wrong. There's a little bit of a testimony right there. Most people today wouldn't say Jesus has done nothing wrong. Well, he did as he was hanging on a cross. Um, a lot of people, though, play at sin much of their lives, and they sit around until late in the day wasting their lives, doing nothing of significance, and then they come to Christ. Uh, you know, if all your life has been has just been building widgets, uh, and that's it, with no spiritual component, then you've been no different than any of the rest of the pagan, productive pagans uh, that have been out there. So, um, in any case, I'm, you know, we're not looking at rewards for faithful service. That's another matter altogether. Um, and if you look at the inequity situation here, it all evaporates when you recognize the workers in the first part of the day didn't necessarily deserve a denarius. The workers at the end of the day certainly didn't deserve a denarius. I don't deserve eternal life, and you don't deserve eternal life, and the person that's been longest saved on the earth doesn't need 
deserve eternal life, and the person who's been saved the least amount of time before they die doesn't deserve eternal life. So, you know, what are we what are we grousing about when we talk about, you know, this is not fair or that's not fair? We fall so f- far short of God that, you know, it's just sad. Um, so, anyways, we can't argue about fairness. A- actually, if you wanted to argue about fairness the only movement that you would have would be away from God's grace. Do you want to argue with God and argue yourself farther and farther from God's grace? I mean, if you're starting at a position where these guys have received the grace of the owner of the land, they've received their wages, you know, he might just claw back what he gave to them if they're going to argue and complain about it. And if you bargain with God... You know, you're, you're, if you just demand to be fair, God will say, okay, if you want fair, I'll give you fair. Yeah, that's true. So I think that we're talking about the last being first and the first being last doesn't focus on swapping positions. It focuses on an equal outcome for all in terms of eternal life. I might mention a little bit more about that in a moment. The second phrase in verse 16 is a little bit troublesome. Let me explain why. It says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Um, This is found here in the New King James and I believe the King James, but does somebody have another version of the Scripture? Uh, You will not find this phrase in uh, that portion of Scripture. Its placement there is debated. You will not see the phrase in the NIV, the ESV, or the New American Standard, and probably not the Legacy Standard Bible either. I didn't look at it, but because they believe, the, the, the translators believe that it's not, the phrase is not in the most accurate Greek manuscripts. And you can sense why they feel this way, because if you're reading along, the parable that starts with first will be last, last first, you read the parable, Ends with the first will be last, last will be first. And then this phrase, for many are called, but few are chosen. And you just wonder, how does that work? It seems a bit abrupt. And so I have a little bit of a difficulty, frankly, fitting it in with what came before. The way I'm going to treat it for you is this. Um, There's no doubt that this is a true statement, but I wonder if shoehorning it into the previous parable may be not the best way to handle it. And so you find the phrase in Matthew twenty-two fourteen, where it says, for many are called, but few are chosen. And there, it's a parable of the marriage feast. So we'll get there in two chapters in the future here, as God permits us to have time, more time on this earth to go through the Bible together. Um, but they, uh, many, many are invited to this marriage feast, and it becomes a picture of the kingdom of heaven, which is inviting people to come into it, and the people are making excuses and injuring the, the witnesses or the, uh, the, you know, the, the testimony, the prophets and stuff, and killing them. And the king who's inviting them to the marriage feast, who represents God, is getting a little upset about this. And so he uh, punishes those people. And then he says, go out in the highways and byways and bring them in, as many as you can which is what we're doing, going out to the Gentiles, trying to win them to Christ, make disciples. And uh, and even one fellow sneaks in basically dressed inappropriately, doesn't have a wedding garment on. It's like, you know, 
showing up to a wedding in cutoffs and a t-shirt. You don't do that. Uh, you dress up and uh, show respect to the bride and the groom and the parents and all. But he, sh- he shows up there and they have to kick him out and, uh, because he's not really, uh, he's just a, a pretender. And so what this is teaching is that there is a broad way that leads to destruction, and many people go that way. The Lord said that in Matthew chapter 7, didn't he? Um, Over there in 13 or something. And, uh, you know, thinking they're going to be fine, they enter onto this broad way, but they go down the wide way directly into the mouth of destruction. So many are called, but few are chosen off of that way and onto the narrow way. Those who find the narrow way that leads to life are few, yeah, it's Matthew seven thirteen to 14. I have it right in my notes here. They experience a more difficult road than those on the Broadway, but those on the Broadway don't really notice that because there's just such a flow to it. It's just so natural. You know, not, none of the, all these people, they couldn't be wrong, you know, following after, you know, yelling and screaming about abortion and how they've, you know, the Supreme Court's done them wrong and all this sort of stuff. And then just on the broad highway to hell. And it's a sad, sad testimony of their morality, lack of morality and their thinking. So the parable in Matthew 22 is about how the kingdom of heaven is like the king arranging a marriage. Um, and many are given the gospel invitation, but few are the ones who respond to it. So the, broad, the, the invitation is broadcast widely. This is like WJR radio, 50,000 watts. You can get it for hundreds of miles in the right conditions. Broadcast widely. But how many people actually tune in that station? Now there's some that are listening to the competition, you know, and others listening to the music radio stations and others listening to not even radio at all. Um, So the reason that the Lord says few are chosen is simply this, that God chooses those to whom he wills to give mercy. When God does so, then when he gives that mercy to people, it becomes perfectly consistent with the will and desire of the person to whom he gives mercy. The mercy because God awakens them to righteousness. We say that God impacts or influences their will, and their will is willing to respond to the mercy of God, and they become saved. So it's God's work that starts the whole process, and man responds, and everything is is okay. It's all, all well back there, John. Okay, thank you. Um, so a person chosen this way will desire God's mercy and will want to love God. A person not so chosen will voluntarily reject God's mercy and will be culpable for that rejection. It's difficult to explain or understand much beyond this, but God is good and God is in charge of all things, even you. But I ask you this question, do you love God? Every person under the sound of my voice, my ministry, among other things, is to make sure that you are a saved person. And another way of saying that is, do you love God? You say, well, I believe that Christ died for my sins. Wonderful. The demons believe that too. But the demons cannot say, I love God. You can. Do you? Amen. I remember years ago, one of my uh, favorite remembrances of this church, Thurman Hunter, when I came in on a Saturday morning asking if I love the Lord. I 
somehow he asked it, and I, can't, I can hear his voice saying it, but I can't remember the exact words. And I said, of course I love the Lord. But that's the thing. And, and when you love the Lord, people don't, like I said, you don't have to cajole you to do things for God or come to pray or whatever because you want to. And you love the Lord, so you love God's people. It's a love relationship we're talking about. We're not talking about knowing some facts. Great, you know, you're smart, you can know facts. I'm smart and I can know facts too, but that doesn't mean a hill of beans if I don't love God. And so uh, many are called to love God, but few choose that pathway and few are chosen for that pathway. And I, I urge you to make the love of God the most important thing in your life. Now, a few lessons, and I'm going to take a couple extra minutes, if you would, please. The landowner had plenty of money to pay the workers. God has plenty of grace to give to anybody who wants. to. He could go to the marketplace 50 times a day and never run out of grace. Very interesting that John MacArthur said this. He's a five-point Calvinist. He said, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was sufficient to pay for the sins of the whole world. From the fall of Adam until the day of judgment. If any person is not saved, it is because he will not be saved. Man's sin can never outstrip God's grace. And then I add this from a, a review that I did in a, a, of the book, From Heaven He Came and Sought Her, and I've used this before. It says this, and I'm saying this because these are the most strict theologians when it comes to the value of the death of Christ. They say this, all Reformed theologians have agreed on the infinite inherent sufficiency of the sacrifice of Christ, sufficient in itself to redeem the whole world and many worlds besides. Those are five-point Calvinists writing those words. And I can say amen to that because that is true. The inherent sufficiency of the death of Christ is beyond enough to hire every worker in that. I'm mixing the truth with the metaphor now, right? The metaphor of the truth is sufficient to hire every worker in that marketplace. But there are some people that don't even show up to the marketplace to go to work that day. And others just sit there and say, I don't want to work for that boss. He's too rigorous, too much work, too much hot, sweaty. I want the easy stuff. Well, that's what it is. God has enough grace for all. Furthermore, God seeks sinners. He not only has sufficient grace for all sinners, but he seeks sinners. Like the landowner, he went to the marketplace. Why do you think he kept going to the marketplace? He wanted more people. He was not compelled to go, but he did so anyway. He could have just said, well, I've got these good guys here. You might have to work a little bit tomorrow morning, but we'll finish the job. No, he wanted more workers. Thirdly, God sets the terms of salvation. The picture is the owner sets the wage with the workers. I'll pay you a denarius. I'll pay you what's right. And the later workers, and they did that. They trusted him to give them a good wage. Giving you lessons about God from the parable here, okay? He's full of grace. He seeks sinners. He sets the terms of salvation. Number four, he does not turn aside any who are willing. If you're willing to work, the landowner hired you. If you're willing to be saved, God will save you. John 6, verse 37. All who come to me. None who come to me will I cast out. All will not be cast out. We need not to concern ourselves at this point with why a person is willing. 
people get into debates about that. Well, were they willing first or did God make them willing or whatever? It's enough to note that the person has changed from being unwilling to being willing. Are you willing to be saved? Are you willing to work? Number five, God is compassionate and gracious. He wants to help those who are lost. Some of those workers were probably less desirable than others, some less skilled, some less capable, maybe older or less skilled, yet the owner helped them. Think about God's grace. He could just write off the guy who is 80 years old and soon to die from cancer. He could just write him off and say, eh, too late, buddy. But you know what? Sometimes he still brings those people into the vineyard, doesn't he? Compassionate and gracious. Number six, God is sovereign. He can do what he wants with what he has, right? Just like the landowner could pay whatever he wanted to whomever he wanted with his private money, so God is sovereign. He can do what he wants with what he has. He's in charge. Number seven, God is generous. He's not unfair. You know, people like Paul talks about, why have you made me this way? You know, when he's, when he's putting the words of an objector into the page and saying, somebody might say this, or somebody might say, you know, uh, how can we, uh, well, let's sin so that grace may abound. He uses those words of an, a person objecting. But people object to God. You know, it's God's fault that I'm not saved. Huh. No, God is generous, not unfair. Number eight, God uses workers in his vineyard. They serve in all kinds of capacities to maintain and grow the product of the vineyard. What is the product of our vineyard? Widgets? No, it's change the, change the spelling of widgets to disciples. That's our product. Disciples in churches. So we build individual disciples and we build churches of disciples. Are you joyfully laboring in God's vineyard? Are you doing the minimum to get by? Or are you just sitting there saying this whole endeavor is just dumb? That tells the tale on your heart. Lessons about ourselves now from the parable. Number one, lesson about ourselves. We too often pay attention to how others are living and serving God or not and compare ourselves to them. Wait a minute. Him? Me? Look at him. He's a louse. Look at me. I'm good. Uh, We should focus on being thankful to God and serve him the best we can. We need to be humble and thankful not comparing ourselves to others. Remember Paul said those people that compare themselves among themselves and measure themselves by themselves and by so doing they're not wise. I think that's 2 Corinthians. I can't come up with a verse off the top of my head, but you'll find it if you look it up. Number two, there are two kinds of workers that I perceived here. Workers. There's some that aren't in the market at all, but there are two kinds of workers. The first worked basically for the wage. The latter workers labored for the master, not for the wage. They labored for the master. They were content to take whatever he thought was right. Here's a suggestion for you, and especially when you're first hired or you're first trying to help somebody, they offer to pay you something. I've, I've often done this with little consulting jobs or whatever. The first time that I do the job, I just say, look, you pay me what you think I'm worth or nothing. You know, God takes care of us. Um, these guys didn't, this, the latter guys, they just, they, there was no agreed upon wage. They just said, what, he said, whatever's right, I'll pay you. And they trusted him to, to pay him, to pay them properly. 
and he did. So are you a worker that's just working for the wage? Or are you a worker who's working for Jesus? And it doesn't matter how much he pays, when he pays, how he pays, in what form he pays, if he pays you cash or he pays you like he does some other pastors in third world country and chickens, you know? Either way, it puts a chicken on the table for dinner for your family, right? Do you care? Do you, do you, wanna, do you just care about yourself or do you want to work for the master? I want to work for the master. I hope you will want to work for the master. Notice that all the workers did some work. In other words, like Christians, all true Christians exhibit some fruit. I mentioned about the um, thief on the cross. He had some fruit, even though he had only moments left to live. In the same way, every true believer shows fruit, even like those guys that worked at five, started working at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. All right, I hasten on here. Number four, receiving God's grace is better than getting his justice. God gives us more than we deserve, so as I said before, don't bargain with God because the more you bargain, the more you get justice. <laughs> the less you get grace, which is really what you should want. Number five, our thinking about fairness needs to change. Any kind of greed and jealousy needs to be removed from our hearts. Um, the parable here opens a window onto our feelings. It kind of opens up our heart to show us what's in there. Are we, you know, are we greedy or jealous about things, or are we content? You know, isn't it, isn't it such a happy occurrence to see somebody saved? To see some young person like we will on Sunday baptized, you just so enjoy you know, them being uh, testifying and being saved and them being in the limelight, not you being in the limelight. This doesn't mean, as, of course, you know, because, well, the 11th hour, like I said before, uh, you know, that you can put off the decision to follow Christ. Don't do that because you don't know when your day will come. You may have zero time to speak to God about your soul at the end of your life. And, and nor does this sameness of, of the reward of eternal life mean that faithfulness in this life is inconsequential. That is very consequential because rewards are given at the judgment seat of Christ for your faithfulness. Rewards separate from eternal life. Number six, remember none of us are worthy. We are not better than those who are lazy or who got to work late. Let us expunge from our minds the who will be the greatest, remember that, attitude that the disciples had. Get it out of your mind. Who will be the greatest? I mean, among other things, the greatest among you will be your servant. That's happened once before when a fly was bothering me during preaching. That gets to be distracting. And people are paying attention more to the fly than they are to the word. Um, number seven I'll just say this finally for as far as lessons for us. You cannot get more eternal life than somebody else. It's an infinite sort of thing. So if you get an infinite thing and I get an infinite thing, I can't have more than you. I mean, unless you're going to get into strange, you know, that strange mathematics about countably infinite and uncountably infinite, and which there is a thing. There are concepts like that, but... That's not what we're talking about here. If you've got eternal life, you've got eternal life. And everyone else who gets it gets the same. It's a gift of God's grace. And as infinite as it is, it cannot be subdivided so that you get more for being a Christian longer than someone else. Think of it. 
eternal life. Infinite, blessed, healthy, God-honoring, God-worshipping life forever. Dear friends, in close, we have a great God. If we're still sitting in the marketplace waiting to be hired, we need to take up the offer of employment by God himself. God is like zip recruiter. He'll be able to get you hired if you come to him. And then no matter how long we've been working for God, living for him, we need to keep on working until the end of the day, no matter how hot and how sweaty we might be. And we should thank him all the while. You know, thank him. Thank him that you can be hot and sweaty because there's some people who are laid flat in their bed doing nothing, and they'd rather either be in heaven or be serving God getting hot and sweaty. You know what I mean? You don't know what you have until you miss it, you know, until you, know, until you don't experience it anymore. So let's be uh, in tune with this concept that the last will be first and the first last, and don't be greedy and all those things that we looked at. And think about God and how he's pictured by this landowner here. What a tremendous God we have. Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. And Lord, although our love for you is obviously imperfect, some of us may not even be able to say those words that I love God. I pray that each and every one soon will be able to and recognize and be thankful for it. That love is is a unique thing. It's a special kind of thing. It's not just feelings. It's it's a decision to follow. It's the recognition of the grace that you've bestowed upon us. It's gratefulness, gratitude. Um, it's, it's a personal apprehension of who God, who you are, uh, a desire to be near to you, um, a desire to serve you. If you love me, keep my commandments, you told us. That's another evidence of our love for you. And, and so I pray that you'd help us, that we would labor for the master, not just for the reward, not just for... Uh, greediness, and uh, Lord, work in each one of us with this parable. Thank you that the last will be first and the first last that each and every one can share equally in eternal life. We look forward to that day when we can be around the throne with each and every other believer from all ages there worshiping you. And I don't know how it works with us maybe going off to serve in some capacity and coming back to worship more and going off to serve, however that works, we are going to be grateful for it and thank you. May you give understanding to your people. In Jesus' name, amen.